coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are. You're listening to the VIP Jazzwall Report. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Take a seat and get ready because this Christmas radio service is about to start. My guest today is my conscience, which has been eating away at me for a few years now, ever since I came to this great country, the U.S. of A., and let me tell you, I love being in this great country. In fact, I feel very patriotic and protective about our nation and its values. And today, you'll hear my conscience speak, which I hope will resonate with you in some way, shape or form. This time of year is very precious to me, and I hope with all of you as well. It's Christmas, and it's also about being reflective of the year that has gone by, and it's also about the hope for the year that's going to come by. I've always wanted to do a show about Christmas, but equally important, I wanted to do a show that makes us reflect on our values as a society and the type of world that we are building for our future generations. Everything I say today are a reflection of my thoughts, and I stand by them. Let me start by sharing my thoughts about Christmas with you. I've lived and traveled the world over to places like Australia, Hong Kong, New Zealand, Philippines, Thailand, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, the UK, Bangladesh, Indonesia, Spain, Singapore, Mexico, and many more. All these countries and cultures have many differences, but they all share and acknowledge the beauty and the wonder of Christmas. There's something about Christmas that brings a sense of joy and anticipation among all of us, even if we are not necessarily Christian. There's something about Christmas that welcomes people of all faith to join and celebrate. And another thing I like about Christmas is it doesn't make you a Christian or attempt to. It's just about sharing in the joy of the season. It's a bit like an open house party, and of course, where there's a party, there's going to be me. (laughs) The beauty of Christmas that appeals to everyone in these countries is that it's about the basic emotion of all humanity. It's about giving. It's about receiving. It's about joy. It's about love. Calvin Coolidge gave a beautiful quote about the meaning of Christmas to him, and it goes like this. Christmas is not a time nor a season, but a state of mind to cherish peace and goodwill, to be plenteous in mercy, is to have the real spirit of Christmas. Those of you who've listened to the VIP Jazzwell Report over this year would have heard the great guests that I've had the privilege of interviewing, from the likes of Bishop T.D. Jakes, Donald Trump, Leila Ali, to recovering drug addicts, to gay pastors, to green berets, and so much more. You know, it's been an honor and a gift to have each and every one of these personalities on the show. The common factor that each one of them has is passion and belief in what they do. We might not agree with all of them, and we might not recognize them. But when they talk about their body of work, it amazes me that in America, there are such different people doing different things and excelling in them. They stand by what they do and share with us what they have learned in their field of excellence. And when you look from the outside in, you get amazed at the ability of mankind and particularly in America where we have all come from different lands to become one. One nation under God with all respect to whoever your God may be. 
it's quite a challenge finding this scenario in other countries. And I can say that with credibility because I've lived abroad extensively. A few weeks ago, I was invited to speak to the U.S. Army National Guard, and it makes me so proud to be part of this great country. Being in their presence made me proud to be an American. I was proud to be in the presence of patriots. I was proud to be in the same room as those who fight for me and my fellow civilians so that we can be free to be proud. I was proud to be in front of those who fight for equality, opportunity, and diversity. But sometimes I feel our soldiers are a forgotten part of our society. And in life these days, there's a lot that's being forgotten. And isn't that ironic? Because we live in an age where information is virtually free and accessible at our fingertips. Yet, in the pursuit of the knowledge for our future, we forget the facts of our past. Most of you listening today are Americans by coincidence. But I I'm an American by choice. I chose to come to this great country because out of all the places I've lived in, America is head and shoulders above the rest in every aspect of life. Our society is based on those who believe in equality, opportunity, and the American dream. But in some ways, the American dream is being diluted, and especially at this time of year. One assumption I had coming to America was that it was a true example of a tolerant society, but maybe in some ways I was yet to be enlightened. Let me share a story with you. I came to America in 2002. I was working for a global bank at that time, and in December of that year, I sent my colleagues Christmas cards and wished everyone a Merry Christmas. That's a practice that I've been doing for decades all around the world in Asia, Europe, and the Middle East. When I returned to work after the Christmas holidays, I was summoned by the Human Resources Department to go for counseling sessions because I had offended people who do not celebrate Christmas and are not Christian. And of course, I argued with my counselor because what she was saying didn't make sense. I told her I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Everywhere around the world, people say Merry Christmas. But in America, I was supposed to say Happy Holidays? Why? When did this happen? Because, you know, it definitely was a shock to me. You see, around the world, when people give each other Christmas cards, there's a photo on the card that shows Central Park and the horse carriage rides with falling snow on the ground. There are photos of the tree at Rockefeller Center. People abroad symbolize Christmas with America. But if people abroad knew that we Americans are denouncing Christmas in favor of happy holidays, we would be the laughing stock of the world. When I was in the Middle East some time ago, I wished a local guy Merry Christmas. You know what he said? He said, Merry Christmas back, without flinching. He even smiled. Last week, I wished a local guy in New York City, Merry Christmas. And you know what he said? He said, Happy Holidays, 
in a way that felt like he was correcting me with a smug look on his face. Need I say more? I thought Sunday was a holiday. Christmas is Christmas. For those who like to be politically correct and are trying to change the phrase Merry Christmas, then they should be corrected because if you can't say Merry Christmas, you can't say Happy Birthday either since Christ was born on that day. You see, I'm not a Christian. I'm not Jewish. I'm not a Muslim, but I love Christmas. And I don't wish to take Christ out of Christmas. Actually, I love anything that involves a celebration. If you're celebrating, then so am I. And here's another story. In my son's school, I became a blacklisted parent because they called the Christmas tree a friendship tree. And I disagreed with the establishment because I know a Christmas tree when I see one. And how does a festive icon become something else. We teach our children history, right? We don't alter history. So why are we altering Christmas? My atheist friends wanted to rename the Christmas tree so that they could put it in their homes during Christmas time without feeling guilty of it being associated with religion. I said, why don't you get a cactus tree? No one's celebrating that tree yet and it'll last you all year long. Here's the irony in all of this. I was fighting the fight all alone. The Christian parents in the school were very quiet. They secretly agreed with me, but didn't come forward to support me. They were scared that they would be perceived as trying to impose their religion onto others, and that would be considered as politically incorrect. Hmm. How are you imposing your religion? From my perspective, you're only trying to prevent your religion from being vandalized or being misinterpreted. Why is that wrong? Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me my logic is not correct. All I was asking was that acknowledge what is right. Christmas, just like any other religious celebration, is part of our American heritage. Are we not proud of our heritage? Why will we not defend our heritage? The season of Christmas welcomes all to celebrate. It is not to convert. So why do some people aim to convert Christmas rather than to celebrate it? Quite ironic, isn't it? And why does it take a non-Christian like me to stand up for this? I'm a child of God, but where are the children of Jesus in all of this? In fact, I was so enraged by this that I did a radio show and I called it Are Christians the Weakest Defenders of Their Faith? And what a response we got. Most of them agreed. Because if you tried to pull this stunt on any other faith, there would be hell to pay and you'd be accused of blasphemy. How does wishing someone with a festive greeting, and I repeat, a festive greeting, become offensive or even a personal insult? How does a festive greeting convert someone's religion into something else? The simple answer is it doesn't. You see, if we stop saying things because it may offend people, then the silence of the world 
will be deafening. Of course, when I say that, some people will accuse me of being insensitive, but I'm talking about using common sense and logic. When I was preparing for this show, I was going to call it something like, for Christ's sake, it's Christmas. But my team warned me that I might be accused of using the Lord's name in vain, and it would not be appreciated. I totally respected their views, but when I went home, I thought, why are these very people who are being offended not doing anything about the issue of Christmas that exists in our society today? You see, if we start eroding away at simple things like this, then we start setting a standard for other beliefs to be altered to suit the so-called politically correct world we live in. And that is just the tip of the iceberg. I've always admired Americans as a people who are proud of who they are and what they represent. We are part of a melting pot, but we should not melt away. In essence, the purpose of being an American is about increasing what you have. It's not about diluting yourself at the cost of someone else. It's about increasing our strength, not weakening it. It's a bit like marriage. No marriage can succeed if one partner dominates the relationship. Successful relationships have three personalities. You, your partner, and the relationship itself. Our biggest challenge as a society is to judge what is right and what is wrong. It's, there's no science to it. Sometimes it just appeals to your gut instinct, your, your morals. Silence alone is not the cure. Restraint is not a cure either because you're never going to be able to please everybody all at once. I'd like to give a quote from Mahatma Gandhi. His quote was, I want the cultures of all lands to be blown about my house as freely as possible, but I refuse to be blown off my feet by any. Wow. This was the very man who inspired Martin Luther King and who overthrew the British Empire through peaceful protest. Gandhi was very tolerant of others' beliefs, but he made it very clear that he demanded respect and acceptance for his own beliefs as well. The beauty of living in America is that there is room for everyone and their beliefs. But I do think that some races and cultures are diluting their beliefs because they are made to feel guilty. But more importantly, they allow themselves to feel that way. They allow their beliefs to be vandalized by others. Why? What's the motive? Is there some sort of a conspiracy theory here? I don't get it. Christmas is one of those moments in the calendar that is becoming diluted as time goes on. And I'm horrified that it's being allowed to happen not just by outside forces, but by some Christians themselves. Why is this so? And I repeat, we are part of a melting pot, but we should not melt away. There is no war on Christmas, because in order for a war to exist, you need two opposing forces. In this case, you have some Christians who go along with some self-righteous, politically correct establishment and succumb to their wishes, 
So how on earth can there be a so-called war on Christmas when everyone's moving in the same direction? I want my son and my grandchildren to grow up in an America that acknowledges, accepts and enjoys the celebration of other people's beliefs. You cannot twist the concept of Hanukkah. You cannot twist the concept of Ramadan or Eid. So why is Christmas being twisted? I wonder why the Christian community allow this while secretly acknowledging and giving in to others who brainwash them into thinking that being vocal about Christmas is a guilty thing to do. Why does it take for a non-Christian like me to rise for your belief? Here's another thing I noticed. Have you ever heard of a Ramadan sale or a Hanukkah sale? No, not much, neither have I. Generally, you will not, because these are religious celebrations that followers of the faith do not wish to dilute into commerce. And I respect that. Now, type into Google the two words Christmas sale and you'll see a bunch of stores with Christmas sale as their tagline. Is it wrong? Well, give this matter some perspective because other religions don't do this, yet we do. Does that make us more tolerant? Or are we just too submissive? And think carefully before you answer that. You see, we fight for gay marriage. We fight for racial tolerance. We fight for the environment. We fight for improving ourselves, whether it's our weight, our skill set, our knowledge. We even fight to legalize marijuana. But we won't fight for Christmas. Christmas around the world is recognized by every child, regardless of faith. Every child knows of Santa Claus and the Christmas tree. Yet some members of the Christian community allow themselves to be made to feel guilty if they in any way are seen to be overindulging in the Christmas season. Even the words war on Christmas is tolerated. Can you imagine if there was a similar phrase that said war on Ramadan? There would be an uproar. It would be considered blasphemous. And have you noticed little by little how the Christmas tree is changing shape? The Christmas tree I remember growing up had the star of Bethlehem on it. Look at it now, and you won't find many of those around. Why is that? Why is no issue made of that? Why are Christians complacent or dismissive of, of these type of scenarios? If you shrug your shoulders or roll your eyeballs at what I'm saying, then take a look in the mirror and ask yourself what it takes for you to be proud of who you are. What does it take for you to value where you come from? Do you just let life drift you by because if you only take from life without giving back, then you really have not lived a life. If standing up for your heritage and being accepted for that means nothing in life to you, then how can you become something in life? If you're not a Christian, think of how your faith might be the subject of manipulation next once the politically correct brigade have finished with Christmas. America is a predominantly Christian country, but that might be where it just about ends. It's just really a statistic. Recently in Maryland, local Muslim families weren't happy with not having their religious holiday on the school calendar. They requested the school to acknowledge their religion. 
I think that's a fair request. But what did the school do? They made their holiday schedule religion neutral. I mean, can you believe this nonsense? It's actually a damning situation. I would have admired the school administration if they added the Muslim holiday to the calendar, but instead, they're not being religion neutral. In actually some ways, they're supporting atheism. Instead of increasing the awareness of our society's different religious celebrations, they have removed it altogether. And what reason would you give the children who love festive celebrations and will celebrate anything without guilt? Actually, we should learn from our children the value of innocence. Shame on us. Shame on us. And then there's this. The University of Maine banned Christmas decorations. How do people get offended by decorations? Because I've never seen people go for therapy over a decoration. Anyway, according to the Bangor Daily News, the school's executive director of auxiliary services sent the following email to his departmental managers, and I'm going to read it out to you. Just wanted to remind everyone that auxiliary services is not to decorate any public areas with Christmas or any other religious-themed decorations. Winter holiday decorations are fine, but we need to not display any decoration that could be perceived as religious. The email explained that banned items included Christmas trees, Christmas presents, menorahs, candy canes, etc. What is allowed are winter themes, snowmen, plane trees without presents underneath, decorative lights, but not on the trees itself. Even for me to read this out aloud embarrasses me, and I can't even imagine what my Christian friends must feel. This is not the America I dreamt of. I can't even imagine looking into my son's eyes when he becomes an adult and asks me what my generation was trying to achieve with all this nonsense. Oh, wait, and, and there's more. Songs such as Silent Night and Joy to the World have long been considered staples of the annual holiday concerts performed by school bands, orchestras, and choirs. However, friends and family of students in New Jersey's South Orange Maplewood School District no longer hear these songs at their annual holiday concerts. God forbid you call it an annual Christmas concert. Across the nation, School districts are changing their policies, banning music with religious themes at school-sponsored events. As a nation, have we become so paranoid that we think we might be seduced to joining another religion simply because of a song or a decoration or a festive greeting? Does being happy for someone else make us sad or insecure? Think about this. Our forefathers fought so that we could have a better future. And what do we do? We fight to erase our past. As we move into the new year, some of you may be considering trying to be better than what you were this year. Whether it's losing weight, more exercise, more education, more family time, or anything else that takes your fancy. And let's be honest, a new year's resolution only lasts as long as the year is new. By the second month, our resolutions are a distant memory. 
more important than our resolutions should be our values. That is what defines us as individuals, defines us as a community, defines us as a nation, and that is what will define us to our future generations. If you live to your values, your resolutions automatically follow. I learned three very important lessons early on in life. I had the choice of either having a mindset of a victim or the mindset of a victor. I decided that I definitely didn't want to be part of the pity party. I didn't want to succumb to anything. I wanted to overcome. You see, it's never the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. The second lesson I learned was that the world owes me nothing. It's what I bring to the table that matters. And the third lesson was that people's opinion of me does not have to become a reality. Never let people determine your self-worth. It's more important to be respected than to be liked. It's a fact that you'll never be liked by everyone, but your haters and your admirers can always respect you. I get invited to speak at events aimed at addressing prejudice among minorities. And my message is very clear to them. I tell these minorities one simple thing, and that is, do not be defined by your failures, your weaknesses, and sorrows, but be defined by your strength, your contributions, your successes, and your achievements. You see, in life, it's better to die on your feet than to live on your knees. And think ahead. How do you wish your future generations to remember you by? Do you want them to remember you for whining and complaining? That you were looking for special treatment or handouts? Or would you like to be remembered for fighting to get what you deserve? History books are full of stories of fighters and victories. There isn't much written about losers or beggars. Here's a known fact. We all know Michelangelo painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. But we don't know much about the guy who held the ladder. <laughs> you see, history belongs to the victorious, and it's the victorious that create history. Living in America is all about diversity. But diversity is not about charity, where only one party is the recipient. It's about enrichment and progress. Both parties need to bring value to the table. Don't bring your history to the table. You don't live there anymore. Bring knowledge, experience, hard work, honor, code, loyalty. Make these the backbone of your reason to exist. And you will find that doors will open for you that you never thought existed. The guests on my show are a living example of the beauty and the strength of America. Bishop T.D. Jakes went from being virtually homeless to being regarded as one of America's greatest preachers. My guest Dan Bongino went from being part of the Secret Service to now running for Congress. My guest Sean Stevens, a young black man, went from a stereotyped background of drugs and violence to getting a scholarship at an Ivy League university. My guest Larry Lawton, 
went from being America's most wanted diamond thief to becoming an honorary cop. There is so much more, but their names are not important. Their achievements are. Try achieving success like they have in other parts of the world, and you'll be trying for a very long time. Their invisible qualities of belief, hard work, resilience, and perseverance have very visible results. My Muslim friends, they always complain about being stereotyped. I ask them very simple questions. The first question I ask is, where in America is there a leader of the American Muslim people? The second question I ask is, why is there no peaceful protest when the terrorists attack American citizens? Then I ask, why do we never hear of American Muslims criticizing these barbaric acts? And I tell them, your silence is deafening. And when you say nothing, you allow perceptions to be created. Do something. Say something. I tell them, the world owes nobody anything. You see, in life, you're not given what you wish for. You're given what you work for. Living together among different communities is a two-way process. You need to be respected, understood, and valued for what you're trying to do. If your counterparty is not doing any of these three things, you cannot have harmony, growth, or progress. You see, in life, pity and sympathy you can receive for free. But jealousy is something you have to earn. I love my haters because I know then that I'm actually doing something right. I realize that in a world of discrimination, the qualities that I bring should always outshine the prejudices and presumptions people have of me. Your success becomes your qualification. I learned that having a strong work ethic, respecting others, being able to lead others, being loyal, having a strong self-belief, and the ability to convince others that I will reward the risk that they take in me has always gone beyond discrimination. But I could not be who I am today anywhere else in the world because the rest of the world does not operate as diversely as America does. America believes in diversity, believes in opportunity, and believes in creating relationships between unidentical entities. The victim of my past has been given the opportunity to be a success for the future, but only in America. So how do Americans cope in the diversity of today's world? Well, diversity really is a sense of irony in today's world because it can be manipulated to suit anyone and everyone. Everyone has a point of difference and everyone feels they have a right to be included. However, it's a known fact of life that you can please some of the people some of the time, but you cannot please all the people all of the time. And here's an irony that I find exists in America today. When the tragedy of 9-11 happened, I saw Americans come together like never before. It didn't matter who you were, but we were one. But as the shock of 9-11 faded away over the years, we Americans started to highlight our differences. It's a pity that tragedies bring us together and eliminate our differences, but peace drives us apart and highlights our differences. Being different 
is the backbone of diversity and is a way of life in America. But in today's world, we manipulate diversity in such a way that we end up building pitfalls for ourselves. And there's a lot of stuff that's being thrown into the diversity mix. And one of those things is this new age phrase, which is called being politically correct. First of all, I don't know why it's called politically correct. What has it got to do with politics? Ideally, it should be called being culturally correct. I'm a new American, so I see things a little differently, but I do see things with the eyes of diversity. Here's a contradiction I see in American society. The N-word. I have black and African-American friends. And they tell me they use the N-word among themselves as a term of endearment. But if any other race uses it, then it's considered derogatory. Let's take a step back, shall we? This term was originally used as an insult and carries the blood, the tears, the pain of ancestors who were slaves. They fought for freedom. And the best answer my friends can say that it's a term of endearment? How does that work? To me, it doesn't make sense, because I wonder if their ancestors looking down upon them would feel the same way. They fought for freedom for themselves, freedom for their children, and freedom from that word. I'm then told that they've taken that word away from the whites and they own the word. How do you own a word? You see, here's a lesson I learned. When you do right, it will be right for some but not always right for all. And the irony is that when you do wrong, it usually is wrong for all and not just wrong for some. The pitfall here is a certain level of imbalance and even inequality. Let me give you another example. The State Department advised that common phrases like let's go Dutch, hold down the fort, and rule of thumb could be considered offensive and to avoid using it. Really, do we not have better things to do with our time? What next? Sometimes these sort of statements in the interest of promoting diversity actually insult our intelligence, not to mention making us a laughing stock in front of the world. The pitfall here is sometimes we get too petty-minded. My neighbor thinks his community is too diverse. And I told him, the car you drive, my friend, is German. The pizza you eat is Italian. Your kebab is Turkish. The coffee you drink is South American. The tea you drink is Chinese. The clothes you wear are Indian. The oil you use in your car is Saudi Arabian. The carpet you walk on is Persian. And you're complaining that your neighbors are immigrants? I could have told him to get a life, but instead I said, this is life. We get so caught up in these things that sometimes we forget how great we are perceived from other nations. The Charities Aid Foundation shows that America is the most charitable nation in the world in terms of monetary giving and volunteering. America is also one of the world's most ethnically diverse and multicultural nations in the world. Because of this, we actually know more about diversity than any other nation I've lived in. 
As a nation, America is at the forefront of handling and managing diversity in more ways than any other country in the world. So if we are so diverse and our nation is composed of so many cultures, why does America suffer from increased criticism across the world? I think part of the problem lies in us. And I know that might sound surprising, but in the effort to be tolerant and act in a non-prejudicial manner, we have in some way lost sight of ourselves and purpose. Why is it that being the most giving nation, we are not the most popular? The fact is that many parts of the world are jealous of our success, and the interpretation of jealousy usually means you're doing something right. We are blessed and we work hard to be who we are, but others see it differently. When I deal with people abroad, they regard America's generosity as their birthright. They assume we will help at any cost. In fact, some cultures abroad think we are so giving because we feel guilty about how much we have. They're also suspicious of our generosity. They think we have an ulterior motive. Sometimes you just can't win, can you? You know, we do help, but not because we're obliged to, but because we want to. It's because it's the right thing to do, and some nations just can't believe our reason is that simple. Some countries accuse America as interfering in their affairs, but I see it differently. Since America is composed of so many immigrants, we collectively, as a country, unite to help the roots of that particular immigrant community's motherland. Other countries cannot understand this because their population is not as diverse as ours. Let's look at the private sector in America and abroad. We in America have many more ethnic minorities in senior positions in the corporate sector than any other country in the world. India and China have the world's largest population, but if you look at their private sector, you will struggle to find many Americans in senior positions. And what better example than having our first black president in the White House? How ironic is that? The utmost significance of our success as a nation in the area of diversity. Try looking for diversity among politicians in other parts of the world. Then look at our politicians in America. They're so diverse that it looks like the bar scene from the movie Star Wars. When Obama was being elected... The world cheered him on because they felt he would disrupt America's perceived white supremacy. The world was ecstatic when Obama came to power. But the world was disappointed when we didn't make a negative issue out of it. The world was dying to label us as racists. In fact, we embraced the change. And therein lies our greatness. Now, if we turn the tables... Do you think Obama would have had a chance in China? Do you think Obama would have had a chance in India? Do you think Obama would have had a chance in Indonesia? Because he wouldn't have even stood a chance in Kenya. We should be proud of how far we've come in comparison to other nations. In my humble opinion, I'm proud to say that I think we're the best at it. But we cannot stop because, you know... Diversity will never stop. It continues to evolve, and we must in turn evolve in managing it and, con can, I'm sorry, and continue to be an example to the rest of the world. Being aware of different cultures, different people, is not just an attitude. It's also a skill, but most of all, it's a mindset. People abroad are fascinated with us. 
They're jealous of our life and the freedom we have. They love the Big Mac, the Cadillac, Snoop Dogg, Hot Dogg, Lil Wayne, John Wayne, and of course, where would we be without the Kardashians? We are so diverse that we make people famous just for being famous. The global community will always be critical of us more from jealousy than any other reason. And remember what I said about jealousy? It's something you earn and it also means that you're doing the right thing. And diversity is such a funny topic these days because it's not what it used to be. I remember a few decades ago, diversity in essence was about being sensitive to minorities. Well, the rules of that game are changing for tomorrow's world because in over 40 U.S. cities, the minority are now the majority. In over 10 U.S. states, white men are now a minority. More women than men are getting graduate degrees. Our children and the next generation are in for very interesting times because those who were champions of diversity will now be the recipients of it. Can you imagine every public corporation saying, oh my gosh, we need a white man on our board, and the reply is going to be, sorry, can't find one. My son will be going to university in a few years' time. Competing with American students is going to be the least of his problems. And this is why. Let me ask you two simple questions. How many Americans you think are learning a Chinese language in America? I asked my friends this, and they said 3,000. I said no. They said 20,000. I said no. It's about 300,000. Now, how many Chinese in China are learning the English language? It's not 300,000. It's not 3 million. It's 300 million Chinese are learning the English language. And that's just from one country. So you see, we Americans better be prepared for a tsunami of talent from all around the world that will be arriving at our shores. If we cannot stand strong now, we will not stand a chance in the future. But there will be people among us who will resurrect discrimination directly or indirectly. You see, our ancestors fought for our future, but some of us keep fighting for our past. The famous comedian Chris Rock recently said in The Hollywood Reporter that Hollywood is a white industry. I have a question to Chris. What's the point in your statement, Chris? Because the hip-hop industry is a black industry, and I don't see many whites having an issue with that. There are more blacks in Hollywood than there are whites in hip-hop. But really, who cares? Some things are what they are. Why make a statement and leave it hanging? You see, one can always find issues in life. Very few find solutions and even fewer offer perspective. Al Sharpton then jumped on this and came out with a statement saying that in Hollywood, the higher you go, the whiter it looks. Now, I'm not white and I'm not black, so I don't really have a vested interest in taking either side. But I do believe that in today's world, the racists among us do not last long. There are enough systems in place to vindicate those who do exercise prejudice in any way, shape, or form. 
while most of us are trying to put out the flames of prejudice, there are those who exercise their status in society by adding fuel to the flames. People will always fight for their beliefs and lifestyles to be accepted. This is the beauty of living in America. But we also need to recognize that the world is becoming a smaller place, but our differences are increasing. Remember that the purpose of what we are trying to do is to create a relation between unidentical entities for success and progress. Creating a relation cannot be done by removing what defines that identity. You cannot celebrate Christmas without Christ. And if you are, then it's not Christmas. Culture is man-made, religion is not. Christmas is a religious event and a celebration of our Christian brothers and sisters. I hope the American culture does not deny their existence. It's very easy to get confused in today's world, and sometimes I get confused myself. But when I do, I think at a higher level. I think about what would be best for mankind, because that is ultimately how we will be judged down the road of time. Do what is morally right. That will never prove you wrong. Today's world is the result of yesterday's work. Tomorrow's world is the result of today's work. Our children will judge us not by our riches, but by the lives that we enriched through the opportunities we provided each other. Our success will be determined by the progress we've made as a civilization and not by how we segregated gender, race, color, or anything else. Progress has no caste, color, or creed. The best man for the job is not a gender. The best man for the job is not a color. The best man for the job is one who gets it done. Ladies and gentlemen, we have so much to be proud of in each other. Denying each other's heritage will deny you progress and will oppress the purpose for which our forefathers fought for. They made sure that their outreach was always beyond their reach. Only then was progress achieved, and we should follow in their footsteps. In life, where one is from is less important than where one is at. But more importantly, the key concern should be where one is going. My guests inspire me. My fellow Americans inspire me. The love of America inspires me. But when I see trouble up ahead, I feel the need to alert those I love. I hope this season brings all your worries to rest and may all your joys come to life. You make America great. And on that note, I wish you, dare I say it, a very Merry Christmas. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Remember, we are part of a melting pot, but we should not melt away. We are one nation under God. And the American dream is to increase what you have, but not take away what exists. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Chaswell and my Facebook page, The Vip Chaswell Report. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser, who stood by me uh, ever since the show began, and this show wouldn't be possible without both their efforts. Thank you, guys. 
I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Until then, I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your loved ones. And until next Sunday, have a productive, inspiring, and a very happy week ahead. Music